0: Welcome to Detour to Neverland, your guide to living your best Disney life through
1: your hobby or business. Here's your hosts, Brendan and Catherine. Welcome back to Detour to Neverland. Today is episode number 137. I can without a doubt say the small but intimate community that we have built up around Detour to Neverland is the most valuable and closest thing to Catherine and i's hearts. It means so much to us to be able to bring people together, to brainstorm, to collaborate, and just to have all of these different people that we know that we can depend on and count on and that we form friendships with. A big part of that is our Facebook group. And I know we mention it so often, but we really do have so much fun over there chatting about different topics, getting to learn more about the behind the scenes of these creators who are out there putting in the hard work. Just this past week, our friend Thomas from the Talking Llamas podcast, which is a brand new podcast that we would recommend you guys check out. He asked a question of what is it that you look for in a creator whenever you're consuming Disney content? A challenging question that it was so interesting to see everybody's responses to what it is that they look for. So, that's just a small little nugget of the conversations that we are having. We would love if you join us over there. You can find it by searching for Detour to Neverland Podcast Community on Facebook, or swipe up, see those show notes, and get the link to it there. Our episode today is with Kelly, who is from Karma and Kismet. So, Kelly, you will learn, is at her heart an artist. And it's so interesting to see that creative process to go from an idea to putting something on some sort of medium between her stationery to um, invite cards to apparel and everything in between. It is really cool to see that glimpse into how these things come to life. Kelly is also an amazing businesswoman and running Karma and Kismet really efficiently. So we Learned so much from our conversation and I know you guys will enjoy this one too. So without further ado, we'll go ahead and play the interview where Kelly First will introduce herself and she's going to share one random fact that you may not know about her from social media. Thank you guys for listening and we hope you enjoy
2: Great. So uh, my name is Kelly, and I am the creator of Karma and Kismet. Um, we're going to be celebrating our five-year anniversary in November, so I'm getting to a milestone with my small shop that I started um, back when I was graduating from college. Um, started out as an Etsy store that I was selling just all different handmade items on. And it's gotten to the point now where it's all focused on Disney. Um, I have inspired art prints that I'll uh, put out that are my original art, um, t-shirts, stationery, custom work, um, anything and everything that kind of brings a little bit of magic into your everyday life. That's what I try to bring into my store. Um, and then recently I started a blog that I talk about ways to bring home the Disney magic. So it may be DIY. Disney um techniques you can use um different ways to decorate your home and with Disney ways and also just talking about Disney trips getting excited for your Disney trip um I love kind of sharing with uh, other people as they get to go on their Disney adventures and something interesting about me that you wouldn't know from uh My social media. I guess it's that my nine to five job is actually as a fundraiser. So I talk a lot about myself um, on social Mm -hmm. media. Um, But that's one thing that I don't really talk too much about. I um, That's my professional life. And I kind of try to keep that separate because, um, you know, I take this very seriously about what I do, but that's uh, what I do for most of the day, actually.
0: Good deal. I love that. That's a good fun fact. And I totally understand the keeping everything separated.
2: <laughs> yes. It makes it easier to, you know, focus your
0: time on different things that way. Yes.
1: Probably our biggest fear is Catherine's students finding our podcast one day. <laughs> oh, that's my-,
0: my biggest fear, not so much you.
1: I feel like it would be, you know, bad for me too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, to kind of set the scene, um, tell us about your Disney story, you know, how did it kind of evolve over time and then ultimately lead into you starting Karma and Kismet in two thousand fourteen. So I
2: was very lucky and I was born into a Disney family. Um, my parents went to Walt Disney World for the first time in 1977 on their honeymoon and they fell in love with it. Um, they were, you know, the generation that grew up watching Uncle Walt on Sunday nights on the wonderful world of Disney or I guess world of color at that point. Um, and you know, they were able to experience it and they wanted to give that experience to their children as well. So I'm the youngest of three. All of us have gone to Disney. Um, you know, our first time was before we were two years old and we just continued to go every year. So we would, um, all pile into the minivan and take the 20 hour drive from New Jersey, um, to Orlando every August. And, um, it was great. We got to experience that with three generations, bringing my grandparents there with us sometimes. And as we got older, the amount of trips that we took just, increased. And I think our love of it, um, you know, the Disney company has increased and it's been nice. We've had, we have a very um, close family. And I think a lot of that is to do with Disney because no matter what stage we were at, if we were at, you know, different points in our lives, we always had a common interest and that was Disney. And I think, you know, a lot of the support I get from like um, Carmen Kismet is because it is something that we all are so passionate about.
1: That is really cool. So take us to that moment in 2014, whenever you decided to open up your shop for the first time, kind of what were the conversations that took place? What was your thinking? And kind of what did that launch process look like for you?
2: Yeah, so Carmen Kismet has a very weird start. (laughs) Um, It really was not started because I wanted to start a business or because I had this hobby. Um, It was almost out of necessity. Um, I was graduating from college. I had my uh, bachelor's degree in political science from Monmouth University and had decided that I was going to make this switch into the arts world. So um, I received a full tuition scholarship to go to Savannah College of Art and Design to study arts administration, which was wonderful. And I was so excited about it. Um, And during the summer leading up to my master's degree starting, I was working at a small quilt shop in New Jersey with these... whole group of women that were just so inspiring, very talented, smart, um, and entrepreneurial. So I'm working with them, having a great time that summer, and then I get sick. And the doctors didn't know what was going on. Um, They weren't able to diagnose it for about 10 months. So I had a long time of trying to figure out and deal with this in my life as I was going through this major change of being in my master's program, also working part-time and having an internship. So I really had to find an escape because I was not dealing with things well. Um, so I turned to what's always been my escape, which is art and Disney. And I started to really just create a ton of art. Um, and you know, it was a lot of painting at that time and DIY projects and different things like that. So, um, I was doing all that. And as I'm working at this, um, quilt store called Fabric Inspirations, um, Someone who I was working with said, you really need to think about starting an Etsy store. You know, I know that you're just creating a ton of art and why not try to monetize that? So one night in November, I just decided that I might as well just start it because what do I have to lose? Um, and I started my Etsy store and within 24 hours, I had my first sale. So I felt like I had just had this, you know, huge success. Um, and it's really, molded and changed over the last five years. Um, But I'm very happy with where it's at right now. And I love my story of where it started.
1: That is such a cool story.
0: I know. I do love that, you know, you were able to just use art as kind of an escape in like a tough time, because I feel like a lot of people in us, too, who kind of start these projects all come from, you know, that kind of mindset, like looking for a happier escape, like falling back on Disney So I definitely think that's something that a lot of people can relate to. Absolutely. I think
2: it's, um, you know, at first when I started, I was very nervous to share some of those pieces of my story. But I think that that's how I've really connected with people. It's because we do have so many, you know, commonalities with the love for Disney, but also what Disney does for our lives and why as adults we still go back year after year. Mm
1: -hmm. I'm always interested because – like Detour to Neverland is kind of a unique name. What is the story of how you came up with Karma Kismet?
2: (laughs) So, um, it's again, another like weird story. (laughs) Um, so my grandfather is like my idol and, um, my dad had worked with all of my grandparents to make, um, books that they would give to us that was about their lives. So, um, my grandfather is from Scotland and, you know, has the Scottish accent and everything. Um, and so he wrote this book um, and it had a lot of like mentions of Scottish folklore and everything. And I don't know if Karma and Kismet really played into that, but the title of his book um, was Karma Killops, which is his last name, um, Kismet. And I just, for some reason, really connected with that. And when I was trying to think of a name, I didn't want to do something that was too branded to Disney, um, because I had just actually finished an art law class, and I was like, I'm going to get arrested or something. Um, so I kind of went down the route of, well, what's the definition of karma? What's the definition of kismet? And you know, every single Disney story that you look at has those two themes in them. So, you know, karma that things come back around to you and kismet that things are meant to be. If you look at any Disney tale, I feel like all of them have that as the root. So, it was kind of, you know, a simple way to get around that um art law issue that I was having.
1: Well, your naming story is much cooler than mine.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's that's so funny that like you were going through that so you kind of had that awareness like I can't just be disney lover store or something you know that you actually put some thought into it and that it does have like a personal family tie
2: yeah it's a you know it's a special part and it means a lot to my grandfather too whenever we talk about it he's still you know he's 99 years old and he still asks me every time i see him how carmen kismet is so it's nice Mm
0: It is sweet So when you mentioned, you know, when you were first, you know, introducing yourself in the shop, you mentioned that it wasn't always Disney focused. Is that correct? Yes.
2: Yeah. At first it was just really all different fandoms um, because I figured out very soon on that the way to rank on Etsy is to have a keyword. Um, So just putting up like a sketch of a woman or something like that wasn't going to get me anywhere. So I focused on fandom, but um, you know, I was doing other things outside of the Disney world when I first started out. Mm
0: -hmm. So how did you make that transition to just Disney?
2: I think I figured out, um, you know, I've always been really interested in business. So when I started Carmen Kismet, I became obsessed with it very soon on. Um, And I started to read a lot of blogs and, you know, listen to a ton of podcasts and things. And people just talked about um, the necessity of a niche. And I kind of felt like I, you know, I had my niche. It was fandom in general. But then I realized as I was going, you know, further into what I was creating, that what I wanted to create was always Disney. Um, That's really where I have the most knowledge and um, what I'm just most Interested in learning more about, so um, I felt like it was a good move for me because it put me in an even smaller niche. Um, but it also, you know, gave me the opportunity to do what I really was passionate about.
1: I love that because our listeners are probably gonna gag if I say niche <laughs> one more time. But it's it, We're it big is so clever I mean, <laughs> it is so true that it is makes things so much easier whenever you niche down. So we've we've talked a little bit about it. And of course, you come from an artist background. And that's kind of the passion that drives everything. But I to I want to make it crystal clear for our listeners. So what are the different mediums or product lines that you apply that art to that people can check out?
2: Sure. So, um, I am a graphic artist. Um, I do a lot of my work actually on the iPad and, um, iPad, the iPad Pro has a really great application that a ton of graphic artists will use. Um, so you're doing sketching right on there. So a lot of my work comes from there and then I will create art prints that, you know, you can hang in your house. Um, but I've also now moved into other products. So, um, notepads, Um, I have a ton of stationery. I do a lot of custom work for um, invitations, especially Disney brides. Um, And then also this past year, just started um, working on T-shirts because my boyfriend decided that he wanted to learn how to screen print. And he said, this would be great. So now we also have T-shirts and tote bags, so apparel and things like that as well.
1: Yeah, it is so awesome. And it's great to have such a wide variety of different ways that you can test out different you know pieces of art and and figure out what's the best medium of where to put those. So something that really intrigues Catherine and I, when we were looking at your brand is that you've really made yourself the focal point of a lot of it. So it seems like a lot of times, you know, you're marketing your products, but you're also marketing yourself through your blog and through your different social media outlets of kind of using those hand in hand. So what was that that led into that of using yourself as you know marketing yourself instead of just being a behind the scenes type person
2: so when i first started out with instagram especially i was much more behind the scenes i felt like you know my business was about my art so i should be showing my art um then i kind of realized that a lot of the people that i was following even the ones that you know were selling products they were putting themselves out there so their images They may be showing some of like, you know, flat lays and things like that, but majority of their photos had them in it. So it had this kind of personal connection. Um, And then I was listening to a podcast uh, by Jenna Kutcher. I think, I can't remember what um, the podcast name is, but if you search her name, you can find her and she's really great. And she has this whole idea of like showing up. So she says that, you know, for every three posts you post, you should have one post of yourself because people connect to that. Humanistic aspect. So, you know, she talked about kind of trying that out and seeing if it worked for you. So I did that in my Instagram feed and I found that I had so much more engagement when I was in the photos. So, you know, you start to feel really good about yourself because you're like, wow, people actually like me. Um, but you, you know, I, I definitely found that me showing up and having these connections with people helped my business grow tremendously. And I've doubled my sales this year. And I think a lot of it is to do with that. Um, So, you know, expanding into the blog and having, you know, talking about my own experiences, people get to know me and I think they connect with me more. And when you're buying from these small shops, I think a lot of the time it's because you want to connect with these people and you just, you know, you're rooting for them to do well. Um, I know at least that's what it is for me. So, you know, I kind of want to work with that. And I do feel like um, I have a great story to share. Um, And I also really love to just create and make friends in the Disney community.
1: For sure. I think that so many different creators that we've talked to go through a similar transition with, of you know, exactly what you're talking about. That first you start behind the scenes and you think nobody really wants to hear my story. I think for anybody that is early on or even if you've been doing it for long enough, like the quicker you can learn that, the quicker things are going to start turning around for you. Because that has been really important to us as well that although we hate it, the more that we show our faces in our story or the more pictures that we post of ourselves, people enjoy that kind of stuff. They, you know, they can find a Disney photography count so many different places, but your story is what makes you unique. So I think it's so wonderful that you had that same realization.
2: Yeah, I absolutely agree. And it's, you know, I find that I just tried to kind of think about it like who am I following? So that's how I should be. You know, I'm my market. So if I'm it's so easy to market to me, I feel like so um you know just go along with the same lines of that.
0: And I think something that really stands out is that you gave very practical advice, which I'm a fan of. So like the 3 in 1, I feel like that is something that you can easily practice and at least see, you know, if it's something that maybe you've wrestled with, like, oh, I don't know if I'm, if I want to be the focal point. I mean, I think that's an easy thing to at least test out for just a short period of time and see if it works. And like you said, you know, you found success. I think we've found success, you know, in just putting yourself out there more. So I love that advice. Yeah, no, it's, I think that's a lot of what it is to get, you know, through some of these
2: business, um, Type of things is like it doesn't have to be like you have to read a textbook to learn something. There are these simple takeaways that you can get um, from podcasts. And, you know, like your own podcast, I feel like I've learned a lot from it. Um, So I would totally say to people just when you're running or you're in the car or something, listen to those podcasts because you will learn a lot
0: from them.
1: Yeah, true. (laughs) Retweet. (laughs) So something that I'm very interested in is the creative process for you. As an artist. So, you just had, as we're talking, you had an Instagram post a few days ago where you talked about, you know, trying to reach a creative space and not comparing yourself to others and really just, you know, focusing on your art and that creative process and finding those moments of clarity for you. So, how would you suggest or what advice could you give to someone who's trying to reach those spaces, but they get distracted or they get discouraged of trying to create something that they're proud of?
2: It is, I think, the most difficult part of being an artist or a creator, anything. Um, and for me, I think what I've really found is that I kind of have to just work through it. Um, and it may just be you know, instead of having, like, I, I have a lot of deadlines and a lot of things that I set for myself as, you know, I need to have a Halloween t-shirt that's going to come out. So I need to create something for that. And that was one of the most difficult things for me to do because I didn't know what to create. Um, and then I just kind of had to sit and think, well, what is it that I would want to wear? Or, you know, what is it that I feel like drawing right now? And it sometimes it's just Being open with yourself not to be creating something that you're going to monetize. So, when I created, um, you know, what I had discussed, it was just, I was doing sketches of like different pieces of Disney fall style essentials. Um, and I just wanted it for myself. I was just kind of sketching as I was watching TV. Um, and then I shared it, uh, Yesterday, and got a lot of great responses from people. And someone asked, Is it in the store? So, you know, it was something that it was that I wasn't trying to create it to monetize it. I was just honestly trying to create it to have, you know, a little bit of a release myself. So I think sometimes just taking that step back and saying to yourself, Let me just get something on paper or just work for myself. And, you know, whatever it is, not feeling like you have that pressure of having to, um, have something that's going to be like your bestseller. That's been a lot for me to just kind of be able to separate it. That sometimes my art is just purely my art for my own enjoyment.
0: So that makes me think as you were talking through that whole scenario and that kind of inner, you know, struggle, I guess, are you pro deadline or are you more like you would just rather create things when you get inspiration?
2: Um. It's a little bit of both because of necessity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you don't want to miss. I, I've been through enough seasons now with being Carmen Kismet turning five soon that I've I've missed seasons before, you know, where you've missed like the holiday cards and you're just like, oh, God, you know, I had such a good idea. I could have done it. Um, so I do try to set deadlines for myself. In terms of that, but I've also learned that I need to be flexible with them. So, you know, sometimes like I may miss the Valentine's Day rush and it just is what it is. It's going to happen, but I'll be ready for it next year. Um, But I've gotten a lot better, I think, this year just preparing myself for those times as well. So, you know, don't set a deadline of yourself, especially if you're an artist to get something together for a week later, because then I think there's just so much pressure on you, especially when you're trying to build a company where you have to put so much time into marketing on top of it. So, you know, keep that in mind, plan out your year, know what your like highest points are um, for when you need to have things ready. Like I know that May is a big season for me um, for weddings. So I have to make sure that I have a ton of stuff ready for May to go for weddings. But I work on that in December. Um, So it's just learning about that as you get through you know, those years, I think. Mm -hmm.
0: Just thinking from like a creative standpoint, because this is totally far off of anything that we do, like thinking so far in advance. Is it crazy to have to like put yourself in that mindset? Like if you're preparing for Christmas and it's, I don't know, August. Like, is it weird? Like, do you have to listen to Christmas music to do that?
2: <laughs> um, I don't probably have to, but I do. And now I have an excuse to do it. So it's really nice. <laughs>
1: um,
2: but, but it's also, you know, like when you're in Disney, I think like, I'm very lucky that I get to take a lot of trips to Disney. So there's so many places that you can go to get inspiration for certain things. So like I have, you know, I feel like in Disney, there's like Wilderness Lodge just gives me a Christmas feel. So like I may go sit in the Wilderness Lodge with my iPad and just sketch and I'll get Christmas ideas, which probably sounds crazy, but it works for me.
1: Man. This episode's got me like wanting to become an artist. I have no artistic <laughs> skills. None at all. But I, the juices are flowing. I am ready to jump into it.
2: Do it. Get an iPad Pro. <laughs> oh my goodness. I've
1: watched so many YouTube videos. Uh, what is that uh, software called? The app that's on there?
0: Uh procreate.
1: Yep. I've watched so many. Because I want to do T shirt designs. Um
0: I want it. to, but <laughs> <laughs> it'd be like stick people with like Mickey ears on or Maybe something. Maybe that's my
1: brand. <laughs> Maybe that's my identity. Yeah.
2: That's <laughs> the what the good life isn't that a uh that's a brand and they're all yeah. stick figures.
1: So that's yeah. yeah, true. Be <laughs> exactly.
0: They beat us to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So something else that has been, I think you mentioned that's fairly new to you is making that crossover and adding content as part of your brand. So starting the blog, kind of what was the mindset or the idea behind that? And then what kind of content are you enjoying sharing over there?
2: So I started the blog, um, it was kind of a slow start in the beginning. I started it in the fall of last year, um, and I kind of let myself go with it. You know, I missed one week and then it just, it was out the window. So, um, I got back into it this spring and I've been, um, really keeping myself accountable and I love doing it. Um, it's almost like an escape from, you know, the other parts of my, uh, karma and kismet sometimes. And it's nice to have. I, I've always really loved to write. Um, and, you know, I remember being like, an 18 year old and having a blog about my life. Like I had anything to say. Um, So it's nice to have, you know, something to say now about things. Um, But I really love sharing Disney, you know, the parts of Disney that you don't think about. So, um, you know, talking about going to galaxy's edge, but like, what is it truly, you know, that you need to make sure that you check out and like, which way should you go when you get into galaxy's edge and just things like that. Um, and you know, all the different aspects that there are of Disney. So I have movie reviews up, which probably nobody, you know, really loves to look at, but, um, it's fun to write. And I'm finding that certain things definitely rank higher than others. Um, and you know, it's nice to get those comments on the blogs and hear what other people's thoughts are about the parks or the movies or Disney style.
1: Mm -hmm. For sure. And I mean, I think, there is a value to having that voice and just having that different outlet and allowing people to learn more about your Disney opinions or how you take in a trip or anything like that, just because you're building and nurturing that relationship between you and other members of the community. So next time they have invitations that they need to get created, you know, you're the first person that think of. So I think sometimes there's not a straight line that you can draw that, Oh, this is going to lead into my sales funnel. But there's a nurturing and relationship-building aspect to it that is so valuable.
2: Absolutely, and I feel like if you love to do it, then do it. It's you know sometimes it's not going to be your money maker, um, but it's what you know all of this is what's going to make you happy at the end of the day.
1: For sure. So last thing we want to chat about before we get into our fast pass round. We really enjoyed watching you and your boyfriend's adventure at D23 just a couple of weeks ago. So, can you give a? I know you wrote a wonderful blog post about this, so we encourage anybody to go look at that as well. But can you give us the brief review? Would you recommend someone to go to D23?
0: Like us,
2: a hundred percent. I hope I see you at D23 2021, um, and everyone else that is listening to this. It was the best experience I think I've ever had. Um, And I went into it um, really nervous about the whole thing because I had talked to my brother and, you know, he had said to me, um, just be, you know, keep your expectations low because there are a lot of lines. Um, And, you know, I had watched all these vlogs where people are standing in like six hour lines to get into stores. And I was just convinced I was going to be like, Hangry and grumpy the entire time. Um, but it was wonderful. The panels that they have are just, if you are a Disney history nerd, you will be like out of your mind, um, excited. And, you know, I think the one thing I would say with it is I didn't go to any of the like e-ticket quote unquote panels. So the parks panels and things like that, because I felt like everyone was going to be tweeting that information. So I didn't have to be there um to you know get all that but these other panels that were with you know some legendary imagineers like Tony Baxter um or you know different people with Don Hahn the director um i got to sit in the room with them and you know hear them talk about Walt Disney and it was just the most incredible experience um and i think the people that you meet there just really there's just such heartwarming you know moments that you see where you know that there's people that probably weren't accepted by others. Like, you know, I was totally made fun of when I was younger because I loved Disney so much in high school. Um, And everyone who's in there is just so accepted. And it doesn't matter, you know, who you are or what your love is. You can walk around wearing a Jedi costume at 28 years old and it is, is it's totally okay.
1: I think that is excellent advice. I mean, I think (laughs) tempering your expectations is a wonderful thing, but also understanding that it's not all about those huge panels because like we were actually driving down the interstate and (laughs) Catherine was watching the panel and I was playing it through the Bluetooth of my car the (laughs) parks panel so that I could listen to it it's like I could sit you know in Disneyland and do this and take a break from being at the panel or go to a different one and catch all the same information but I think those like history ones or like the Haunted Mansion one I would have loved to been in that one as well so I I thank you for sharing that because we were, it's been on our bucket list for a really long time. And some of the impressions we get are not so glamorous. So it's good to know that you don't have to wait in the huge lines and still enjoy it.
2: Yeah. I would say definitely go for the smaller panels. Um, and also hang out at the hotels um, on property at night because I was able to meet um, uh, Joe road. Um, the Imagineer who really worked on Animal Kingdom um, at California Adventure. And I'm sorry, Grand Californian. And it was the coolest moment of my life.
0: Wow, that's good advice. That's like <laughs> a pro tip.
1: I'm jealous. Our friends Andrea and Sean saw him in, I believe it was Oga's Cantina as well.
0: Oh my gosh. So he that's... was
1: making the rounds. <laughs> 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 well, good deal. So thank you so much, Kelly. This has been such a wonderful chat. To learn more about Carmen Kismet, we're going to take a quick break and hear a message from our partners and we'll be back for the fast pass round. I am really cheap. I don't know if you can tell that about me from listening to the podcast, but I really don't like spending money on things that are unnecessary, especially when it comes to marketing tools and I've never paid for a boosted post or anything like that and been satisfied of expanding our reach. So when I first learned about Tailwind, I dismissed it pretty quickly and didn't think it was something that would be for us but it kept popping up over and over again in our research, and we realized that it could be used as a powerful tool if used correctly. So we signed up for the free trial, and we have since made the switch over to the paid service of Tailwind, and the difference has been night and day. It's helped so much with our Instagram and our Pinterest, where we are gaining exposure, we are spending less time, and our impact is deeper. So we would highly recommend Just try out the trial. See if it's something that might work to cut down on your time that you spend on social media so you can spend your time on more valuable aspects of your project. Head to detourtoneverland.com forward slash tailwind to be directed where you can sign up for the trial with no credit card at all. Test it out and see if it's for you. Again, that's detourtoneverland.com forward slash tailwind or hit the link in our show notes. Good deal. So we will just throw out these Disney topics and you can just kind of share the first thing that comes to your mind so our listeners can get to know your Disney fandom a little bit better.
0: Awesome. So the first one is just name the Disney parks that you visited.
2: So I've been to Walt Disney World, Disneyland and then um, outside of the parks I've been to Vero Beach, Hilton Head and I've been on two Disney cruises. So are you a
1: DVC member or have access to DVC points?
2: I am I am from uh, back in the 90s when the only option was Old Key West. so we are Old Key West um, uh, DVC members. Ooh,
1: that was the time to get in.
2: <laughs>
0: oh yes
1: <laughs> there's so many people that we talk to who are like, I've got 700 points because I bought them for you know some <laughs> ridiculously low price and I'm so jealous.
2: Yeah, and my mom was actually a cast member. She was in the opening team of a Disney store um, in New Jersey. So she got great discounts, and I thank her every day for that.
0: Oh, man. <laughs> Go,
2: mom. <laughs> what a <laughs> win.
1: <laughs> so, of the parks that you have visited, which individual one is your favorite and why?
2: Um I would have to say Hollywood Studios, but you know I would I would love to go back to the MGM Studios days. Um I'm a Disney traditionalist, but I just love um you know that 1930s type vibe you have on Sunset Boulevard. Um I've always been obsessed with old movies and um my ringtone or my alarm when I wake up is uh, Moonlight Serenade, which if you know what that is, you're really cool. But it's um, actually in the uh, area music in Hollywood Studios. And I just I love the feel of that park.
1: I've said standing on that street and staring at Tower of Terror is like my favorite environment or like ambiance to be in, I think in all the parks.
0: Yeah, it's great. So thinking about future Disney trips, what would be your Disney bucket list trip?
2: So I'm going to say Adventures by Disney and do a trip to Asia where I can go to um, all, you know, like Tokyo and Shanghai and Hong Kong. So I don't know if they actually do that trip, but that would be my bucket list if they did do
1: that. I know that Lou Mangiello with WDW, WDW Radio, they did like a customized one where they went all over Asia and did. I think it was all in one trip. I know it was at least Hong Kong and Shanghai, but I think Tokyo was in there as well. That would be the dream.
2: Oh, my goodness. Yes. That's the one that I want to do.
1: (laughs) So next would be your favorite Disney resort. And it doesn't necessarily have to be one that you've stayed at.
2: So I have two because I feel like Old Key West, I have to say, because it's just nostalgia. Um, I have so many memories of those gigantic rooms. um, And it's awesome to go back there and, you know, see how Old Key West has changed. Um, But then I love the contemporary. I love the architecture. Um, I'm a huge Mary Blair fan. So I can sit in the, you know, area concourse area there and just look at um, that mural for days.
1: We haven't done that in a while. We need to spend some more time in the Contemporary. We get stuck at the Polynesian. (laughs) We get stuck at (laughs) Tambu Lounge.
0: (laughs) So the next one, if you could only fast pass one ride for the rest of your life, which one would it be?
2: Um, 100% Tower of Terror. And I would fast pass it just to go through the queue. I don't even need to go on the ride. I just absolutely love the theming in there.
1: I've often said that is I think that might be my answer to this as well because when you fast pass it, you don't miss any of the queue. I mean, yes. You know, not much of it besides the outside area, which that. But it's just hot. It's so. just hot.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you don't need that. No, we can skip that part.
1: That is a good answer. So sticking with rides and attractions, which rider attraction do you think is due for an exit or refurbishment from the parks?
2: So I said I was a Disney traditionalist and my... What I would do if I had, you know, the ability, I would get rid of Mission Space and I would bring back Horizons.
1: Making all the Epcot fans happy. (laughs) I feel like eventually they're going to have to do some sort of like VR experience where you get to ride all of those, especially the old Epcot attractions that people love so much.
2: That would be really awesome. They did. I didn't get to do it at D23, but there was... um, something at with disney theatrical where basically it was this vr experience that you sat in seats and then it like created the theatrical experience for you so like you were in the theater um so i think there i mean you could be onto something with that
0: that's pretty cool
1: that would be cool wasn't it disney quest where do you remember doing that catherine where you like built a roller coaster and then rode it yeah, It made me so nauseous. I do not get <laughs> nauseous on any rides whatsoever. I can do anything. That was awful.
2: Oh my gosh. So my sister does not do any rides. And um, she created the roller coaster for my brother and my dad to ride once on there and put all the flips in it. <laughs> and I think they they didn't talk to her for the rest of the night.
0: <laughs> I think it's the VR just messes with you different. It's like totally. a different experience.
1: Yeah, your brain's not supposed to take in that much at one time, I don't think.
0: <laughs> Probably. So, this next one is what land or just, I guess general area in the parks brings you the most inspiration.
2: Um, you know, I get a lot of inspiration, I think, from different, you know, places in the parks, but I really I I think I have to go with World Showcase in Epcot just because last January I was there for the Festival of the Arts, um, which I would totally recommend to anybody to go to. Um, but I just sat down in, I, I think I had, you know, was by like a Joffrey's coffee. Like it wasn't a, you know, special place or anything like that. And I just sat there and sketched on my iPad. Um, and it was one of the best moments that I've had in Disney. And I, you know, felt like it was just so great to be kind of, Involved in all of these, you know, people walking by, and it's such diversity there. So it's a cool place um, to get inspiration.
1: If we are ever locals, like that's my dream, is just to go find a bench in the shade in World Showcase and just sit there. That sounds wonderful, actually.
0: <laughs> and to go to all the festivals. That's the one festival that we haven't been to, is arts. Mm-hmm.
1: It, yep. Perks of being married to a teacher. <laughs>
0: I was going to say, you get to miss all the cool things.
1: (laughs) Basically, spring break and fall break and summer. That's That's when we're there. That's it. So so next one would be your favorite snack or your go-to snack in the parks.
2: So I am gluten free um, because I have an allergy. So I have to stay away from anything that has gluten. So it's like pretzels and things like that. So all the really good stuff. But I do say that Disney has some awesome gluten free snacks um, and the best of them being the Mickey bar, of course. And I also am a huge fan of blue milk now after having it.
0: Interesting.
1: Did you try green milk as well?
2: I didn't. You know what? I have been a Star Wars fan since I was like three years old and I've always loved the blue milk. I've made blue milk myself in my house. um, So I was not going to pass up that opportunity. I had to go you know, traditional there.
1: I've got to ask because it's time relevant. By the time this comes out, people probably won't care about it anymore. (laughs) But did you see Mark Hamill's tweet about the blue milk? No. Oh, you've got to look that up. It's he basically just said like the the blue milk that they served them on set was like gag inducing, and so he was so nervous to try it in Galaxy's Edge, but he actually really enjoyed it.
2: It's very good, and it's I mean pretty much allergy friendly. I think for almost anyone
0: because it's rice and coconut milk. I think. Mm. Interesting. They probably did that on purpose. Yeah. I do have to ask, just since we're on, like, the whole food topic anyway, what has been, like, the worst gluten-free thing that you've ever eaten at Disney? I feel like that's important to know.
2: Oh. Hmm.
0: I don't know, you know, if I've ever really had something
2: bad at Disney that's gluten-free. Maybe – no, you know what? Actually, I went to – the Liberty Bell Terrace in Disneyland when I was just there. And it wasn't that any of the food was bad. I just felt like they had a lot less options. Um, and the server was not as um, accommodating as others are. So that's always hard when you're gluten-free because you already feel like when you say to somebody that you are, that they think you're on a fad diet. So, you know, it's, you feel like you're putting people out. Um, And this waiter made me feel like really bad about it. So I was like, whatever you can give me, just give it to me. It's fine. So I think I had like a fruit cup. Oh, (laughs) Oh, no. That sucks.
1: Yeah, that's not a fun story at all.
2: (laughs) But overall, they are wonderful with allergy friendly. So
1: for sure. So next one, sticking with food, what is your favorite table service and favorite quick service restaurants?
2: So table service, I love Spice Road table in Morocco um, in Epcot. It is uh one of the best places to watch illuminations if you can get an inside spot by the window. Um, I haven't done it on the patio, so I don't know about that, but the food is incredible. If you are um, you know, have any allergies, the wait staff there was just so accommodating. Um, and that I couldn't say better things about them. The food is phenomenal. Um, and quick service. I would say Columbia Harbor House because my family loves that little um, bridge kind of area that there is that you're between Liberty Square and uh, Fantasyland and just sitting there and watching the people go by. So not really for the food. I mean, the tuna fish sandwich is really good, but we love the view there.
1: Yeah. Last time, Catherine, you took your Casey's Corn Dog Nuggets up and we sat in that spot.
0: I did. is that that ideal? Yeah, I agree. That's a good spot. (laughs) Air conditioning. It's never super crowded. Mm -hmm. Do you have good people watching windows?
1: Yes. So uh, we've never eaten at any of the restaurants in Morocco. I'm not sure why. We (laughs) are not too adventurous of eaters, but I think we would like it. Is Spice for Table, is that the outdoor one or the indoor one?
2: So I didn't know this until I was um, seated last time. Spice Road table is both outdoor and indoor. Um, So it's the one that's on the water there, but there's actually an indoor section.
1: Gotcha. Oh, didn't know
2: that?
1: Yeah, we just normally, I guess, see that like bar area with outdoor seating. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, we had, I went with people who are locals and they had no idea that it had an indoor section either. So um, maybe we're just naive, but we just assumed (laughs) that there was only that outside part.
1: Yeah. And we've heard really good things about the quick service as well. So we've got to try that soon.
2: Yeah, I think, honestly, all the restaurants in Morocco are really good. And um, I'm not a very adventurous eater either. But the um, options that they have there, I think, are actually more um, Americanized, I guess. I don't know. The flavors are really not anything that's, uh, you know, too out of sorts.
1: Gotcha.
0: Good to know. So the next one would be your favorite Disney movie.
2: This one's hard because I think that I have different favorite movies based on different times in my life, um, what I connect to. So I think growing up, I loved The Aristocats and um, The Parent Trap, Um, and now I am a huge Tangled fan. So those are probably my three favorites, but they're all from different points in my life.
0: I think you might be the first person to have ever mentioned The Aristocats. Oh, my goodness. That's not good. (laughs) (laughs) That makes you unique. Yes. <laughs> that's a good one, though. I haven't even thought about that movie in ages.
2: Yeah, I think the animation in that, and it, that one in 101 Dalmatians, it must have been, you know, like a, a animal thing. They just have phenomenal um, background art. Mm-hmm.
1: For sure. So next would be your favorite Disney quote, either from Walt himself or from any of the movies.
2: So this one is from Walt, and it's, um, that's the real trouble with the world. Too many people grow up. Um, and I think I live by those words because I go into work and my work is, my office is completely filled with, um, Disney things from, you know, ceiling to floor. And everyone always says that I'm like the ray of sunshine because they walk into my office and it just is like, you know, a little kid's room. Um, but I think, you know, you have to, you gotta find joy in the world. So wherever you can find it.
1: For sure.
0: I love that. So the last one would be just your favorite Disney parks memory.
2: Um, so I have a, I have so many because I've, you know, been so lucky to go there. So I, w- I was trying to think of what's like the one that really, um, kind of brings like a tear to my eye when I think about it. Um, and I went down to Disney the last time that I went with my grandparents. Um, was probably almost ten years ago now, and we were there because my brother was performing in the candlelight processional um, during the Christmas season in Epcot, and uh, my grandparents were both in wheelchairs at the, at this time. Um, and it was chilly sitting around the water there and we're standing in line. We didn't do, you know, any of the dinner packages or anything. And these, um, this couple came over to us and said, asked us how many people we had in our party. Um, so we told them we, you know, we had however many and they said, well, listen, you know, we got the dinner package, so we have these seats, but we're not going to watch the show. So, you know, do you want to take them so you can get your grandparents out of the cold? So, we, you know, we very thankfully took the tickets um, and had this great view of the show. And to this day, my grandparents still talk about it. And it was just, you know, the best way for them to have kind of their last trip to Disney um, and, you know, to be able to see my brother perform there and not have to sit in the cold.
1: That is an amazing story for multiple reasons. A, that was so kind and generous of the other people. But your brother got to perform in the Candlelight Processional. How cool was that? That is
2: so cool. Yes, he is an incredible singer. And it's, um, he, you know, he's gotten to do it a couple of times. And it's always just, you know, it's so awesome to see um, my family getting to be a part of that, you know, kind of Disney magic, because so many people are getting to watch that. And that's a, you know, holiday tradition for them.
1: So I'm curious, without like spoiling the magic or anything, but <laughs> it, do you, like, do most of those performers perform all of the candlelight processionals? Or are you assigned to like a certain time or like, do you pick and choose which ones or how does that work?
2: So I'm pretty sure that you're actually assigned to, you know, maybe like seven to 10 or something like that. Um, it's, you know, you have to audition to take part in it and everything. So um, they don't just take anyone and then you have a certain number that you have to um, partake in.
1: Ooh. So I bet people fill in those Neil Patrick Harris ones. quickly.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> do you get to pick or is it just like fingers crossed? That's the one that you want. Um, you get to pick. Yeah. Oh,
2: yes. Yeah. So I think the favorites are like, you know, John Stamos, Neil Patrick Harris. Um it's really John Stamos gets very into the uh you know, his performances.
0: Ooh. That's so fun.
1: Man, I don't know who I'd pick between those two. Yeah. <laughs> it's like know. Barney or Uncle <laughs> oh Jesse. My like you can't choose between those two. <laughs> well, awesome. So wonderful answers. We loved so much learning more about your Disney fandom. Last thing that we ask you, all will have our guests, if you have one piece of parting guidance that you can give to someone who's looking to jump into this community, either as a content creator or maybe they want, they want to open up their own shop, what would be your advice to that person?
2: So I think no matter, you know, if you're listening to this and you're a Disney creator or if you're, you know, a creator of anything, um, I would just say take it seriously uh, because you're going to find that most people won't. And, you know, you tell them that you have a small business and they're going to kind of, you know, pat you on the head and uh, tell you to move along. Um, but, you know, take it seriously from the start. And it's, you know, this is your business, no matter if you have 10 followers or you have 10,000 followers um, or what you're making, th- it could turn into, you know, something that's incredible. And, um, you know, you want to make sure that you're getting that joy out of it that you want. So uh, just, you know, I think it kind of goes along the lines of like dress for the job you want, not the job that you have. So I'm a big believer in like, if you're going to have a business, have all that collateral that you need where you look like you're a serious business. So, you know, have business cards, have a logo that is um, able to be seen well. Um, And if you can't do those things on your own, you can always reach out to other people to help you out with that. And that's one thing I will say with this community is I've had so much success from just reaching out to people and telling them, you know, I need, can you offer assistance in XYZ? Um, And most people you will find are very willing to help out um, in any way that they can. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, that is excellent advice. I love everything that you said. And I think first and foremost, I think you were exactly right that you have to do things that are for you. You have to be the one pushing it forward and that are bringing you joy. And so I think That has been the overall theme of this is what I have taken away. And I think that is the most valuable, you know, lesson that anybody can learn jumping into this. So, Kelly, thank you so much. If you can, remind our listeners where they can connect with you online.
2: Yeah, so you can uh, check out my website at karmaandkismetdesigns.com. And I'm also on Instagram at karmaandkismet.
0: Well, Kelly, we've said it a few times, but thank you so much for joining us today. I'm glad we could make this work, and we really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you guys so much, and congratulations on one year. Thank Ooh, you. and congratulations on almost five. Yes. <laughs> thank you.
1: Do you like Star Wars? How about Marvel? How about Disney? If you answered yes to any of these, we'd love to have you listen to our new podcast, Kingdom Malcast. We're just three guys chatting about news, topics, and events in the Disney universe. Find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for listening to Detour to Neverland. Subscribe to the show and leave a review to help more people find us. Follow us on Instagram at Detour to Neverland underscore podcast to see our pictures from the parks. See you real soon.